0: Hey folks, uh, we're back. I'm Sue John Capatia. I'm
1: Becca Rufford.
0: Our co conspirator uh, Ken couldn't make it today, so um, he will be back next week, though, so don't fret. So, as we've been mentioning uh, every week, getting closer and closer to uh, ETE, May 4th, 5th, and 6th, um, half days. It is our conference that we've been running, I think, almost 15 years now, um, between mm-hmm. Cherry and the Philadelphia community. And we have, as we mentioned, an amazing lineup. We have Alan Kay, who's going to be giving a keynote. And um, Alan Kay is like a, a modern forefather or you know, um, founding member for a lot of different technologies within um, software and hardware. Um, you know, the modern personal computing um, kind of windowing, uh, paradigm, mouse, uh, object-oriented programming. He's kind of done a lot of uh, foundational, seminal things that we all rely on um, every day. So, and he's a 2003 Turing Award winner. Um, so to have him at ETE keynoting, um, I, I can't wait. Like It's probably going to be surreal when we're actually uh, listening to him.
1: I will also say, just like, so I, I help run the logistics with the speakers and stuff for ETE and just coordinating back and forth with him and seeing how he talks with some of our other committee members. He's like the coolest pen pal to have in the world. Really? The guy is so interesting and interested. Um, he's also been quarantined in his London apartment literally since COVID started last year. Uh, he and his wife, they have not left. So um, I think he's he's excited to have people to talk to. I think he's excited to be a part of something like this. And, um, we're learning all kinds of cool Alan Kay facts. He plays the loop, by the way. Oh, wow. Yeah, <laughs> pretty cool. But um, we have Alan Kay, we have Jess Kerr keynoting, uh, dual keynote with Kent Beck, which is awesome. Yes. And um, just last week, one of our committee members uh, scored Amber Case. She's on board now as a keynote. Um, she is a digital anthropologist, I believe she calls herself or refers to herself as. And um, she's done a lot of work with um, just like how we interact with technology as humans. So. She's our third keynote. Um, So we have a keynote at the start of every single day of ETE this year, and it's like shaping up to be an awesome lineup.
0: That's awesome. Uh, Yeah, so as as Becca said, you know, we have a really great lineup. We have people from kind of all around the country um, and outside of the country speaking. We have some of our own folks like Keith Gregory, um, who's going to be talking about AW-affiliated topics. Uh, Lima Nasseri from Spotify. Um, She's uh, involved in their data engineering efforts. She's going to be speaking, so um, there's a lot of great content, a lot of different topics, um, really looking forward to it. That's really cool that we have um, Amber, as you mentioned, uh, keynoting as well. Um, definitely interested in hearing about digital anthropology, you said.
1: Yeah, yeah. And um, I know that Ken mentioned last week, we're kind of hoping to do like a live stream at the start of each day of ETE, so almost yeah. like a pregame. Tracy called it the red carpet show. <laughs> Just thought <it> was funny. <laughs> well, that's a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. And then we could have some of the speakers on some of the committee. So hopefully we can see you guys there, get your tickets. They're $89. It's an awesome value. Um, we also have a buy three, get one free deal going on. So if you want to take your team, it's a really good opportunity to just like hang out and talk.
0: Yeah, definitely. Uh, check it out. Only $89. Uh, she said, and I like this red carpet idea. I'm going to have like a, a glass of champagne as I'm speaking with people. <laughs> great. Um, awesome. Okay. Uh, so, also want to make sure we mention our um, YouTube channel, which I am typing in right now. I should have a bookmark to it. I, think I would by this point.
1: Oh yeah, youtubecom solutions.
0: So there you go. So um, all of past ET content is on here. Uh, a lot of our own uh, presentations, and videos are on here. Um, the tech chat is on here, and see my face, Ken's face and Becca's face kind of all over the place here. <laughs> um, so a lot of great content, all past easy conferences. Um, definitely check this out. Um, I think there's like something for everyone here while wow, we're past 5,000 subscribers now. So, you know, please subscribe um, and hit like, uh, you know, and look at these videos. If there's any content you would like to see, um, or any topics that, you know, we, we don't cover or haven't covered on here, you know, please let us know. We're always looking for new ideas. Um, So I'm definitely interested in hearing the community's feedback. And uh, give me one second here. We also have a lot of great content on our blog um, where we have blog, podcasts, also presentation videos which go back to the YouTube account. But uh, our latest uh, blog posts are 15 minutes with Cassandra Bailey um, on honing your marketing strategy during a pandemic and beyond. Uh, So, uh, you know, definitely check that out. A lot of companies are shifting, how they communicate with their customers, how they communicate with their workforces. A lot of companies have had to make uh, very fast pivots to direct to consumer, which was a a very different way of selling for them. So um, I think the pandemic has taught us a lot about um, how to utilize technology, how to reach out to people more. So, I'm hoping that those kind of things are here to stay So I think that's a net positive. Uh, what are your thoughts, Becca?
1: Well, Tracy and Cass really hit on that in this. Um, so, Cass calls it the kind of shaking hands and kissing babies kind of marketing is like obviously stunted right now. Um, a lot of people who rely on trade shows are finding themselves in a lurch with all of this. Um, so, they really get into the solutions there, like how your core audience and your clients. Become more important than ever. So, how are you staying top of mind now that everything's online and everything's digital, and just keeping that pipeline fresh um, now that we can't see each other in person? So, it was a really good conversation okay. between those two.
0: I can't wait to listen to that. Um, and I think I mentioned this last time, but Keith Gregory, our um, cloud practice lead, has a series of blog posts around Lambdas and you know recent developments and things in Lambda, like you know one AWS Lambda. Uh, you can use Docker containers now to uh, package your Lambdas. Uh, you can um, so anyway. So check those out. There's uh, it. It goes into um, packaging uh, via Docker, and then pros and cons of different approaches of packaging and deploying Lambda. So definitely check that out. Lambda development um, is simple to start with, but deceptively tricky. And half the battle, in my opinion, is figuring out how to actually um, manage version, package, deploy, and and collaborate with other people and different teams when you're building Lambdas. So um, I think Keith has some solid advice in there. So if you're, if you rely on Lambdas, you're trying to figure out like, Hey, how should I architect um, kind of the code pipeline around Lambdas? And how are we going to package and deliver these? Uh, uh, Definitely check it out. And if you have more questions, you know, reach out to us, reach out to Keith. Um, We're always willing to chat about that more.
1: He's like a prolific writer on our blog. He's got a ton of stuff. So if you just like check out his author page, even on the Chariot site, there's all kinds of good AWS stuff.
0: Absolutely. Um, And last but not least, I did want to mention that Chariot um, is back in growth mode for 2021. Yes. Yay. uh, um, We're looking to hire a number of uh, folks, uh, senior software engineers that have either Java, Python, Node.js experience, AWS experience is really key um, we're looking for folks that have actual um, experience designing, architecting, and deploying on AWS. Um, we're also looking for uh, iOS developers and Android developers. That's not on there right now, but um, looking for both. Uh, so um, Swift for iOS and things like Kotlin for Android. Uh, if you're interested in. Doing mobile development in, in different verticals. We're not really um, in any one domain. We do stuff in telecom and finance and pharma and e-commerce and um, IoT, things like that. Uh, so home automation security. If you're interested in that kind of stuff, um, looking to work with a bunch of engineers on a lot of different interesting problems, uh, definitely hit us up. Um, we're also uh, now a uh, new position for us, are data engineers. So we're looking for kind of Python savvy data engineers that know um, AWS or a, another cloud platform, and have you know a lot of experience building data engineering pipelines, ELT, ETL pipelines um, uh, that uh, run on the cloud and scale up, and you know have experience getting their hands dirty with data and modeling that data, storing it, moving it around, analyzing it, kind of all the things that go into getting data in, storing it, ingesting it, um, uh, putting it into a warehouse, and running analytics on it. So uh, uh, please, uh, if you're interested in that, uh, definitely check us out. Uh, and then we're also looking for um, contract UX and product designers um, to have experience working directly with clients and leading kind of, you know, discovery phases of doing um, usability testing, uh, mocking, wireframing, prototyping, um, usability interviews. Uh, you know, really eliciting from the client what what uh, their users need and what what best approach will solve their problem to derive value for the customer. So, um, we're looking for that as well. So, if you're interested um, in any of these, please reach out, you can reach out to me, you can reach out to our recruiting manager, Gina Rappaport, or apply directly through the website. So, I'm looking forward to hearing from you guys. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, So, I think we can actually get into the uh, links now. So, uh, the first thing I wanna talk about, this is huge, is um, the Supreme Court is siding with Google kind of a landmark case and this has been going variants of this have been going on for a number of years but this is a google for those that don't know android specifically you know they use uh the java apis which now oracle owns um when oracle acquired sun and for years oracle's been essentially trying to uh ask google to pay for usage of the APIs, and Google's like, well, they're just APIs. We're not using specific implementations. We're building our own implementation to an API. And for those that don't know, an API is an application programming interface. So it allows you to, an API defines kind of the contract, like, okay, what are you passing in? What are you getting out? What are the things you can do? Um, While, so this case basically is now side with Google saying, well, those APIs, while they can be copyrighted, um, there's usages of the API that fall under what they call fair use meaning uh, companies can u- use the API in terms of implementing it themselves. They're just using a contract that's being provided by Oracle or Sun and Oracle can't require companies to pay them for just using the contract that's like uh, I, I think they made uh, there was a really good analogy in there let's see if I can see if I can find it. Uh, It may have been another article. Uh, oh yeah, here no. It's ex- so um, one of the judges or um, said if you let someone somebody have a copyright on the QWERTY keyboard, for example, they would control all typewriters. Um, the QWERTY keyboard is just a series, you know, it's just a, a sequence of characters. Like saying these are the order the keys are going to be in, and if that were um, copyrighted and everyone had to pay to basically use that type of keyboard. Um, that would kind of be like totally counterproductive, and that's not what copyright law is about. So that's really what this case is saying. Like, okay, the copyright of the API, there may be very special things around that API um, that we're copywriting because they're novel and innovative. Um, but using the API to influence something is totally fair use. So Google won that case. And I mean, this is not the end of it. We're, we're not going to hear the end of this and it's going to keep happening and lawyers are going to get paid a lot of money and Oracle is going to keep trying. But it, it is a big deal that the Supreme Court sided with Google um, in this because I think these kind of things are the bread and butter of what we all do. We're all using open source software. We're constantly dependent on APIs and every modern piece of software being built now um, stands on the shoulders of other giants. So um, this is big and I think is going to have you know, waves throughout the industry. Um, all right. So the next thing um, is GitHub is introducing new authentication token format. So for those that use GitHub, which are a lot of people, and if you have personal access tokens, you know they're recommending to reset your personal access tokens. What they're doing is trying to make tokens more secure, um, and the ability to scan for tokens or secrets in your code, for example, because a lot of times um, people will commit code to a repo to a public repo that has um, passwords or secret information on there, and they inadvertently do that. So there's software to try to scan for that to alert you with that. So with um, GitHub trying to standardize and modernize their token format, um, they're able to scan for that um, more easily, more consistently. So one thing they're doing is adding prefixes to each of the tokens to make them um, easier to identify and differentiate. So like GitHub personal access tokens, your OAuth access tokens, Server to server tokens, user to server tokens, etc. Um, they're uh, performing CRC thirty two checksums on that, so they can make sure that you know something wasn't compromised. And thing called token entropy basically means like, okay, how unique is my token? Like, you know, the higher the entropy, the more unique the token, the less the probability of um, being able to reproduce that token um, or collide. So, uh, this is something that everyone should look at um, and they should reset their tokens So check out, you know, this uh, webpage on GitHub's blog is April 5th, is the article uh, by Heather Harvey. Um, um, So check that out make sure that you're following their, their standards and formats for that. And, you know, take a look at your repos, Um, make sure you're not putting any secrets or credentials in there. Um, I haven't really spent any time looking at their secret scanning feature. So actually let's take a quick look. Um, so GitHub scans repositories for known types of secrets to prevent fraudulent use of secrets that were committed accidentally. Uh, so, this is just helping that effort work because now they're able to consistently look for different things. And there's an entire list of partners and supported secrets in here. So, you know, take a look to see one if, if what you're using is already in there and covered. If it's not covered by it, uh, you know, make sure you're either um, doing that within your own code pipeline, building pipeline with um, any other static analysis tools and also um, have that as part of your code review process. Ah, okay. So, um, I, so let's go to, uh, I'm gonna kind of switch around a little bit and go to uh, talking about CES. Um, so take it away.
1: Oh, yeah. Okay. So the Consumer Electronics Show 2021 had um, some really cool stuff, but this is a roundup of kind of the the oddball gadgets that came out of it, um, which I always really appreciate. So um, the first one that they talked about was Toto, um, that the fancy toilet has a stool checking toilet. So if you're having health issues, you can simply drop one in the toto toilet and it can kind of give you like a very rough diagnosis of like the breakdown and maybe you need to see a doctor maybe you don't um so they're kind of piloting that right now um
0: every time i sit down i'm gonna have like anxiety like what is it gonna (laughs) say
1: i know i know god forbid you eat beets or something game over
0: (laughs) (laughs) does it does it do it all like locally like is it instant or is it like send something to the cloud
1: Oh, uh, that's a good question. So it says, um, in the future, your toilet might be able to help you diagnose your health problem. It looks like it's, um, I don't know, it just says it examines your stool, and then it kind of has a companion app where you can store your data. And I guess like, that might help you see trends that you could then take to your doctor. Um, but this is set to be released in the next couple years or so. So i um, always excited to see where toilets are going. <laughs>
0: It's a little creepy. You know what's going to happen is it's going to start, like, doing uh, – it's going to start trying to predict, like, after it gets enough data, like, oh, I know exactly – like, I know when you sit down today what I'm going to get.
1: <laughs> exactly. Oh. <laughs> Oh, man. Yeah, so that was a good one coming out of it. And then um, since, obviously, since the pandemic started, um, more and more people were, um, you know, feeling isolated, feeling alone, that you've heard that rescues and shelters are doing really well, people adopting animals. Um, So if you don't want to adopt a real living animal, um, they have this this creature called a cubo. It's a furry therapeutic robot um, that, you know, doesn't make a mess. All you have to do is charge it occasionally. And it supposedly um, gives you kind of like the, the, the camaraderie of having an animal around and even wow. like wags its tail in response to you and everything. Um, so, I mean, I guess that's good for like, if you're going away on a vacation or something, you don't have to kennel that thing, just stick it in the closet, put it on its base to charge, you know? Um,
0: My but daughter would love that.
1: Yeah, yeah. And apparently it's like pretty smart too. Mm-hmm. So um yeah, check that out coming she's, soon.
0: She's been asking for a puppy since, since the day she was born practically and Um, We have to disappoint her every year because we don't plan on on getting any pets. Uh, So I'm actually going to seriously look at this.
1: Oh, yeah. Okay, so you're not going to cave for a dog quite yet, but maybe you can get this little cubo thing. And a lot Um, of people
0: got pets last year during the pandemic, like even a lot of her friends. So she's basically seeing everyone around her now have pets that that didn't have pets. So she's like, why can't we get one? And I can't really give her a good, like I don't have a good logical reason that would sound logical to her. So... So the pressure's on, dad, basically.
1: Exactly. <laughs> um, so there's also this Nino Smart Perfume. So interestingly, Tracy did a 15 minutes with interview um, with a woman over at Estee Lauder, and she heads up their global brand technology. And while they were talking about kind of their virtual try-ons for lipsticks and stuff, now that people can't easily go into a store, she said one thing in the interview that really struck me, and I keep thinking about. And she said the perfume market is particularly ripe for disruption right now. Um, so it got me to thinking, like, what what would that look like, you know, technologically?
0: Having like, like basically having a machine that generates perfumes for you or it can mixes chemicals together.
1: Yeah, and so that's what this is here. This is the Smart Perfume. So um, uh, dubbed the world's first Smart Perfume, the Nenu. it kind of is like almost lipstick size, works with an artificial intelligence powered app to let you create a personalized fragrance blend with just a few clicks. And apparently you can change it up really quickly in a couple clicks as well. Now, my biggest thing is the question that I had is if I'm creating this new personal scent for myself and I'm logging online to a website and I'm choosing the scent, am I actually smelling it? Like that's gotta be the hardest part of doing any type of AI work for perfumes. You know, you can't physically smell the thing through a screen.
0: Yeah, that is a, uh, I wonder, have you have you looked into, like does it ask a bunch of questions like with things that we would all be familiar with to try to like you know narrow down what it thinks you want
1: yeah, you would think so. So I actually, I want to play with it after this. I just pulled this together for the live stream, but I really want to see like, you know, are you more of a woody scent person? Are you more, do you like florals or springtime? Like questions like that, you would think to kind of give you like a fingerprint. Um, but that was really interesting. And and ever since she said that, that the perfume market is right for disruption, I just can't wait to see like what comes out of that. And it looks like this is one of the first
0: things. I wonder who's funding, they're going to get bought out. <laughs> because. <laughs> What they're basically doing is collecting information on scents that'll be popular, and then they can, then the the larger, um, well known brands can use that data to then build scents that are going to make a lot of money. Oh, man.
1: That's a really good point. I didn't even consider. Yep. Yep. Called it. We called it right here on the live stream.
0: So now that uh, we've done secret scanning on GitHub and poop scanning toilets, (laughs) let's. Move to another poop-related topic.
1: Oh yeah! So this is this was the 2020 CES show. Uh, this came up in the article as well. Uh, the Charmin robot. So it's like this kind of cute little friendly bear thing that apparently syncs with your smartphone. So of course, all of us are sitting with our smartphones on the toilet nowadays. You run out of toilet paper, you ping this little robot, and he comes like rolling into your bathroom with a fresh roll of toilet paper. Um,
0: <laughs> I have an easier solution for that, but I'm not. yet. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I feel like this is going to run into the same thing as Roomba's gone wrong. You know, it's going to like fall down a flight of stairs or like get stuck. Yeah. So this was just another wacky thing to come out of CES. This was 2020. Um,
0: It'd be pretty cool if it like launched it off and like shot it at
1: you. Yeah. It becomes just a game of dodgeball in your bathroom.
0: Is this, like, just in prototype? Is this actually going to come out? Because it just seemed ridiculous.
1: Exactly. I, You know what? All of these little gadgets, like, I'm so intrigued by them because I think, remember, like, Google Glass when that was a thing? Now, I guess, like, that was a little bit more advanced, obviously, in its purpose than a robot was. But, like, I love these weird little gadgetary blips, like, these goofy blips on, like, the whole technology, like, ecosphere. <laughs> it's just wow. bizarre to me.
0: Okay, that's... Uh... That's a strange one, but yeah. <laughs> i take it. Um, all right. Back to some uh, boring tech stuff Now I'm just joking. Uh, Django 3.2 was released on April 6th. It's a long-term support release, which means that you know um, security and data loss fixes will be applied for at least the next three years. Um, I feel like Django is making a resurgence again. Python is already very uh, popular to the data science and data engineering and's been like growing by leaps and bounds every year. We're doing a lot more Python and chariot. Um, that's been consistently growing for us the last several years. But Django, I think because of that, has also been getting popular. So Django is Python's kind of like all-in one battery included uh, framework for building web applications. Um, very mature framework. It's been around for a long time, um, has mostly everything you could imagine available. Um, so we're, we're using it for a number of projects now. So it's nice to see this new uh, release being an LTS release, so companies and enterprises can rely on using it for the next several years and know that they're going to get support. Um, so if you haven't done Python before, um, highly recommend checking out Python. It's very easy language to pick up, very natural syntax, um, and Django is a great place to start if you want to build Python web apps. And it's not hard to get started. There's a lot of uh, Information tutorials documentation out there, and the Django documentation itself on this website, um, on the uh, documentation link over here, is very good as well. So definitely check that out. Um, speaking of uh, web apps um, and web applications, you know, let's talk about browsers. So uh, and Python. So this website, uh, Browser Dot is a tutorial. Um, from scratch on how to build a web browser in 1,000 lines of Python. Um, and it goes over how you download you know, data from a server, how you then draw things to the screen, like Windows um, text, how you format that text, how you build a document widget tree up, um, which is what the, the browser uses to go through and determine what gets painted, what doesn't get painted, where it gets uh, placed kind of in the Z order, um, and how it goes about doing that. Um, how to parse HTML, how to lay out the pages using the inline and block layout box model. Um, I don't think they've got to the other chapters yet, so they're still writing ones on applying user styles, handling buttons and links, uh, running scripts, etc. But uh, it's really cool that they're taking this attempt at like, hey, the best way to learn something like this is to really build it from the ground up. And I mean honestly modern browsers are pretty magical. They do so many things and you know, most of our time on the computer these days is through the browser because a lot of the stuff we do is on the cloud now. So um, I think it's awesome that they're doing this.
1: Yeah, that's great too, to like totally build a browser as opposed to like a to-do list or something. Like this really walks you through a little bit of everything.
0: Exactly, um, yeah, I wish I, I, this would be an awesome course. Yeah. Just go through and build it um, all the way through. I think you would learn so much. So, tell me about Space Jam.
1: <laughs> okay, so Ken and I have, have talked about this a couple times. He knows that I'm, I'm a little bit obsessed with the Space Jam website. Um, the Rolling Stone did this really long think piece about this special website. So um, it was made actually in 1996, and it has not changed since 1996. It has been perfectly preserved, and the article kind of referred to it as um, an early internet cave painting, which I thought was like a really Mm -hmm. good way to describe it. It's like an artifact. So um, if you scroll down a little bit, you can kind of see like what the page looks like. Um, Now,
0: unfortunately-
1: yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And um, so the the article really goes into like the original designer who was basically just this like guy who was like hard up for cash and was like, sure, I'll take this, this dumb project really fell in love with very interactive websites. Um, so they actually made the website for Twister, that movie from 1996 as well. Yep. Um, and you'll notice that on their websites, they're not just like here's the listing times of the movie, here's the actors and here's like a a quick synopsis of what the movie entails. They're like these full fledged experiences. So the Twister website, you log on and you get like a command prompt terminal that's like, uh, apparently there's a Twister 30 miles away. Would you like to be a storm chaser? You type in yes. And then you get an email that takes you into this virtual world of like chasing the storm. And it was kind of just like a buildup for the movie Um, So the Space Jam people saw the designers who built this um, Twister website and they were like, can you do something similar for Space Jam? And they were like, oh man, it looks like Twister isn't as cool as it once was.
0: Yeah, that's an archive. So it may not be even rendering correctly, but.
1: Yeah, but Space Jam, they made a point to like keep it rendering correctly. Anyway, I bring it up today because They redesigned it after years and years, and it's because Space Jam is doing a reboot in 2020, I think this year, actually. Um, So the website looks totally different, it's fresh, it's like, you know, very modern. Is
0: link on here for the website?
1: Yeah, if you go to spacejam.com, you can see the new one. Um, And of course, everyone on the internet was, yeah, so you get the new Legacy coming out, it loads, and it's just like, you know, a basic trailer. Um, but if you actually X out of this in the top right, right there. Up here? Oh, sorry, back on the Space Jam page, okay. if you, if you X out. Um,
0: oh, I see what you're saying, okay.
1: Yeah, that little button there, and you see the Space Jam logo here, so
0: that actually
1: takes you back to the Woo-hoo! old site, <laughs> so it's fully preserved for anyone who was upset that it might be gone. To
0: be honest um, with you, I like the old site better.
1: Me too. Me too. It has way more character, but um, it's like it's like a piece of of it's just like it's a relic. It's a relic of internet's past, and I hope that the Space Jam website lives on forever. So that's that's how you access it now for anyone else who is as obsessed as I am with this site.
0: Like I'm just looking at the like the kind of the font and the styling, and it all consistent with the title and how the, And I don't find this as consistent as that one.
1: Yeah, exactly. Also, if you go to the about page, each of the Looney Tunes that star in the movie have really long form, well written bios. It's crazy. It's just its whole universe. So if you get a chance to and you want to burn some time, check out the Space Jam website for sure. Let me
0: ask you this. How many times have you seen Space Jam?
1: Zero. Zero. I haven't even seen the whole movie. No. You're
0: talking about this like you know everything about it.
1: <laughs> I know. I haven't even seen the full movie. I'm just obsessed with the website. <laughs>
0: uh, sorry for calling you out. I oh, like no,
1: it's crazy. all good. Have you seen it? <laughs> I'm going to have to see the new one. The reboot.
0: You're not going to watch the old one?
1: No, I'll watch the old one. I, I should. I should before I come on here and yeah, talk sure. about this.
0: Before you watch the new one. <laughs> Um, All right. So uh, let's talk about NASA again. We've been talking about NASA the last uh, month or so because uh, the Perseverance rover that landed a while back and doing its thing and shooting lasers at rocks and all sorts of stuff and leaving tracks and trash all over the place now. Um, It had a helicopter that was kind of in its belly and was waiting to then come out after it landed, um, had enough charge, et cetera. um, And they, you know, basically stabilized and kind of understand their mission and know where they are. And I'm just making up shit as I go along right now. But (laughs) they basically had to wait uh, to deploy the helicopter um, until they made sure that where they were in the train, et cetera, um, uh, amenable to that. uh, And it had fully charged. So fully charged, there's videos of it kind of unfurling and coming out from uh, the bottom of the rover um, and then spending one night in a very cold uh, Martian night, which they were worried about, minus 90 degrees uh, Celsius, minus 130 degrees Fahrenheit um, and uh, staying warm during that time, not freezing, not cracking, because it has unprotected electrical components or damaging any of the batteries. so it's four pounds. It's called Ingenuity. It's the first time they're ever attempting something like this to have an, you know, an unmanned aerial vehicle essentially uh, f- that will be flying in the Martian landscape. So uh, let's see here. It's the the rover right now is at the Jezero crater, um, is where it touched down on February eighteenth, and they're going to. When are they going to do a test flight? Let's see here. Um, flight They're still on, pre- preparing for the test flight, uh, the sole mission of ingenuity a technology demonstration is to conduct flight tests in the thin atmosphere of Mars, the helicopter carries no science instruments, okay, mm. um, no weapons. Within 30 Martian days um, or souls, a Martian day is twenty-four point six hours. I can't when I read this, it still all sounds surreal. I feel like I'm reading a science fiction book. Yeah. It it's gonna uh, let's see, complete its testing and perseverance scientific exploration and Jezero creator will kick into high gear after that. So I unbelievable that they're attempting all this, that it survived, it survived the first night. Um, hopefully, you know, my fingers are crossed, it all goes smoothly. It is just amazing. And I think the other thing i want to mention is that the NASA team is made up of people from different countries or people that um, immigrated to the U.S. and grew up here. There's um, Indian people. There's people from all over. And it's amazing seeing these, you know, groups of people across borders um, coming together to make these missions happen. And I think it just goes to show, like, how, how important immigration is to this country, and, and kind of the benefits of it, and what can happen when you kind of do everything right, um, and diversity is so important. And I think NASA is a perfect example of how important diversity is across all different um, aspects of diversity and inclusion, and how I think they really um, they're really symbolic of that. So it's something you know I think we all try to aspire to. So I'm really proud of NASA and what they're doing.
1: Amen. Also, I I just had to laugh at this title when you dropped it in Slack. It's like, spends a cold and lonely night on Martian surface. And um, I actually, so I think I was telling you and Ken this, you know, the Mars rover every year sings itself, happy birthday. Um, Its birthday passes and it, you know, punches out a tinny little happy birthday all alone. (laughs) These are all just so sad. (laughs) They're so lonely.
0: Um, There's always fun. So they also have a patch of fabric from the original Wright brothers' first flight. Whoa. It's on the the rover helicopter. It was sent along with it.
1: That is awesome. I didn't know that.
0: Yeah. Wow. It may be in this, uh... okay,
1: anyway. So do they do that just for this one or do they do that for all of them as like a very symbolic thing?
0: I don't know. That's a good question. Um, It may be just this one as far as I know. Um, Well, I know that, Re- regarding um, like the Wright brother thing, it's definitely just this one because the helicopter's gonna fly, so it's flight. They may have done things for other rovers um, with other memorabilia that I don't know.
1: Oh, but wow, that's that's actually a really interesting little brain crinkle there.
0: Yeah. Um, and it's funny, they, uh, they sent a, uh, like, so when the rover was sent to Mars, um, they sent a, a piece of Martian rock back to Mars um, with the rover because they use that piece of rock to calibrate their instruments when they're testing the actual rocks that are on Mars. So they send a piece of Mars back. So cool. found that pretty, pretty cool. Um, okay, so enough about Mars. I, I, I think it's gonna be one of the most exciting things as we continue getting video images and data um, that they collect about Mars. So we're, we're always gonna have material around Mars to talk about on this show, I think going forward, which is nice. Yeah. So uh, Yahoo Answers, I used to use this quite a bit um, in the past. And there's definitely still things that lead me to like, either Quora or Yahoo Answers. So um, sad to see this being shut down.
1: Yeah, it, it definitely devolved a little bit. Um, you usually go to Cora to get more uh, like reasonable, well thought out answers, and Yahoo Answers is you know chaotic at best. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Yahoo Answers says goodbye. If you listen to the My Brother, My Brother and Me podcast, they do a whole segment where they just answer bizarre Yahoo Answer questions. So they're mm-hmm. gonna have to find a new bit. Um, yeah, I guess Yahoo Answers is going, and Cora's probably gonna take its place as like the de facto.
0: Even Quora, what used used to be a lot more useful or authoritative um, than it is now, and I think that's just like the general truth of any of these platforms or social media, other than Wikipedia. Other than Wikipedia, every other one tends to like devolve after a certain point. Like, I mean, even LinkedIn, which I do find useful for keeping my relationships and like professional networks is turning more and more into like social media and people posting whatever they want and opinion pieces and social media. And it's like, that's not why I log into LinkedIn. I don't want to see. Yeah, yup. Are they gonna be archiving this? Do you know?
1: Um, No, that's a good question. I know that you can log in if you were an active user and download all of your history and stuff there um, and your data, but I'm not sure what they're gonna do with it. That's a really good question.
0: Wow. All right, so Tell us about, tell, tell an old head like me about Clubhouse.
1: Oh, yeah. So out of nowhere, um, I started hearing mention of this Clubhouse app. And, um, you know, I, I knew that it was like loosely social media related. So I kind of tuned it out because I am like tapped out on social media stuff as is. Um, but it's it's very exclusive because it's invite only. So everyone's like, do you have a Clubhouse invite? Can I get one from you? So of course, like my interest has peaked, like what is this thing and what goes on in Clubhouse? And supposedly it's an iOS app, um, it's voice only. Um, so it's not like a video platform. Yep. And it's it's. I guess it seems like it's kind of a grasp to connect with people in like, um, a spontaneous sense, right? Mm -hmm. Like, um, so I I actually heard one of my podcasts that I listened to, these two girls, um, they live in LA, they were talking about it. They both got invites and they tried it out. And they said that when you log on, you know how when you create a Facebook, it says, do you wanna invite people from your address book? Or like, you might know these people, do you wanna add them or you can skip that step? Well, Clubhouse doesn't let you skip that step. It just automatically has you, it throws you in a room an audio room with all of these people from your address book which to me i was like no like that does not sound like a fun app to me like i don't want to be like paired up with you know joe the landlord who's still in my phone from like nine years ago you know but
0: it only those if those people have joined clubhouse you're saying
1: if they've joined clubhouse right correct so it can't just be like anyone but it's just like that that randomness to me seems a little bit chaotic but uh, i think what it's trying to do is just to kind of like i said make that sort of spontaneous nature and what happens is when you join clubhouse everyone who knows you and you're also like you share address books with them so you're in their address book they get a notification that you've joined and they say do you want to welcome becca and then they join this room together for you. So when you open the app, <laughs> you're in this room full of people that you knew at some point in your life and they're all there live to welcome you.
0: They're all like, how does it work in terms of everyone k- talks over each other? Or they take turns or?
1: I guess that's what it is. It seems like there's like a hand raising system. So this article goes into that just so there's not a bunch of like cross noise and chaos, but um, yeah, it's supposed to be just like a audio only, no video, um, just a way to connect with people in a really random and spontaneous way.
0: Gotcha, I heard uh, like a lot of the big wigs or people in Silicon Valley use it and people like tune in to listen to them and like Elon Musk is on it and thing and Tracy Horowitz is on it. And, like, yeah. And um, I mean, I, the thing I, so I got an invite, but I have Android, so I can't use it um, is like, it doesn't require the preparation of like a podcast. Or even TikTok or something like hey it just sounds like you get on and you can get on your soapbox and start talking
1: yep exactly exactly and and like i said make those kind of random connections right Mm -hmm. so like people that you haven't talked to in years kind of welcoming you into this app um i know that they said that it was valued at almost like one billion dollars at this point or something crazy like that probably because the elon musks and so on are starting to pick this up and use it of course but um, yeah, just an interesting, you know, little social media site that just came out of the blue. It seems like
0: I heard every company's trying to clone it to right now because there's a number of some key features that are actually missing, like Android. Um, yes. and so a lot of companies are like, okay, we're just gonna. It's not hard for us to build this exact same thing, but we're gonna build it with support for all platforms. huh so it'll Be interesting to see where that goes, and um, you know how much of an early mover advantage Clubhouse has versus. Um, the other companies that already have probably all the platform under under the hood to be able to build and release something like this. So yeah, that'll be interesting. Yeah, I, it reminds me it's like a classy way of doing CB radio or AM radio. Yeah,
1: so- yeah, exactly. It's a really good way to put it. Oh,
0: all right. Uh, let's see here. Um, okay, so I'm a big fan of Spotify. I use it all the time. Not not shamelessly plugging it or anything like that. But this person. Um, the user is trunk GK18 built a open source Spotify client um, with Angular 11, NX Workspace, Ngrx, Tailwind, CSS, and Ng Um, And I did not know what Ng zorro was. It's a kind of an enterprise ready uh, Angular component library. Um, I had never even heard of it. Um, but this is all open source. There's actually a live application, which will probably ask me to log in with my account, so I'm not going to see much. Yeah, forget about that. Um, let me go back here. Go back again. Come on, there we go. Uh, so they built this uh, using the Spotify SDK uh, web playback SDK, but it's so it's all on your browser on the web. And I guess the cool thing about it is you get this clone, but then you, it's open source code, so I can like add my own features or change things or like really customize it for maybe the way I listen to Spotify or for kind of things I like or integrate it, for example, with how I work. Which I find pretty cool. Like, um, so I think the fact that it's out there, open source, you can do whatever you want to it, uh, deploy it locally. Um, if you're interested in seeing how he did it and how he, how he and his team, if it's, I don't know if it's just him coded it. Um, interested in Angular, uh, definitely check this out. I think it's a uh, really cool that Spotify. I did not know that they provided a a really usable web SDK for. Um, if you're a premium user and allow you to actually use that. I don't know what kind of limits it has in terms of calling the API and how often you can call it, but pretty damn cool that you can just build your own clients, essentially.
1: And I mean, we all, uh, maybe I'm speaking for us all, but that's the first thing that I open when I open my computer, you know, my browser and Spotify. Like, it's so closely linked to my work as is. It, it'd be yeah. really cool to explore how you can get it linked even further.
0: Yeah, I uh, so I, I use the Pomodoro method when I'm, I'm working to be really focused, which is Pomodoro method is... Um, there's like 25 minute periods of like you, you, you take a larger task, you break it up into small chunks, you work on it for 25 minute periods. Um, between each 25 minute period, during which you take no interruption, you don't check email, you don't check your phone, um, you're just heads down focused on your task. And then after 25 minute period, you take a five minute break. Um, and then you do another 25 minute period. And after four of those, you take a longer 15 minute break. Um, and I found that that really, really helps me stay focused and get a lot more done because there's like this built-in reward mechanism of like, oh, I know I'm going to get the five minutes in afterwards to check stuff or get up and stretch, and then I'm going to get a longer 15-minute break anyway. So building in the breaks and making them like the default part of your work cycle, you're less inclined to like interrupt yourself during the 25 minutes. So you actually get a lot more done. You break things down into smaller bite-sized chunks so um, they're easier to work on. And I wish I had the discipline to always do it, because every time I do it, my productivity goes through the roof. But keeping the discipline of using the method all the time is hard. And the reason I even bring it up is when I do it, I put techno music on, on Spotify. And it just helps me like get in the zone and focus.
1: (laughs) Yep. Techno is my work and go-to too, for sure.
0: Awesome. (laughs) All right. So let's see here. I think, uh, oh, so the last uh, couple things I wanted to mention were, um, so in terms of AWS and billing, AWS recently announced two um, things I think are really interesting. One is CloudWatch metric streams. Um, CloudWatch is Amazon's platform for monitoring things like um, different services, different events. Uh, uh, your EC two instances you can mo- you know monitor things like CPU consumption, disk, uh, network I O, disk I O. Um, so you can use it to monitor your systems, monitor your software, um, get interesting events from um, and monitor existing managed AWS services that you use. Um, what they're doing is turning this into a stream that you can then use and subscribe to, um, and then you can store that data for example on S3 um, and use it for anal- analysis purposes later on. So you could um, take your, kind of your, your actual AWS usage data, you can take your AWS um, cost uh, billing data, metric streams and combine the two and do analysis on like how your research is being used, what co- cost impact is it having, are there ways I can optimize my costs. So, um, Pretty cool that they're turning this into a real-time stream that you can store and then analyze later. Um, and along the same veins, uh, AWS Budgets recently announced uh, cloud formation support for budget actions. So imagine like you're saying, I've hit a certain limit on my EC2 um, budget. After that, don't allow a user to create new EC2 instances, um, things like that. So you can um, have different budget actions and now you can edit, create, delete budget actions as part of your cloud formation template, so you can put it part of your build pipeline as your automation process. So, um, they're like taking the the billing and budgeting aspects and turning them into automated things that your software can act on or store, analyze, and, and create things um, based off of that. In this case, actions. So, again, you can like start enforcing things, and there's everyone has stories of uh, AWS costs going awry or um, mistakenly like incurring a huge amount of cost on something they didn't realize was happening. So hopefully with these kind of things, you can not only control those events from occurring and stop them from before they happen, but also analyze data to show like, when do you think it's going to happen and is something happening without you realizing it? Um, So uh, if you're interested in that and cost optimization, check these announcements out on Amazon. They're always announcing new things uh, pretty much every day. The last two things I want to mention are, um, I think you'll find this really interesting, Becca, is uh, now. I jokingly say that even in Minecraft now, if you want to get to New York City, you're going to have to go through New Jersey to get to New York City. Um, That really has nothing to do with this post. I just thought that was funny. But pretty much all of New Jersey is being digitized into Minecraft. As they're saying, down to every pothole and jug handle. Um, They're recreating the Garden State inside the game. it seems like more than 1,100 players have joined together to do this, um, and in this case, in the picture here, they're showing uh, Asbury Park, which I'm not familiar with. It seems to be a shore town um, in Minecraft. So, why New Jersey? First why of
1: all, why New Jersey? That's um, exactly. Are they looking to
0: like get New Jersey virtualized because they're worried about something's going to happen in Jersey and they want to preserve it? Like I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why they chose Jersey. Um, uh, so. It's-
1: Apparently, it's very unique in terms of architecture and road layout. I mean, I guess, huh. yeah. yeah, when <laughs> you posted that article, I was like, that's so random.
0: Um, I mean, they're doing like, you know, they're trying to do, so this YouTube, YouTuber, PippinFTS, started a website, which I'm not gonna go to right now, but to facilitate the building of a life-size recreation of Earth, recreation of Earth in Minecraft on a one-to-one scale. Um, so I think they're building this New Jersey thing to scale, and. Uh, I, I guess there's lots of things you can do with that in terms of video games, in terms of exploration, in terms of uh, kids building things on top of things or like simulations. Right? Like if you have all of an area in Minecraft, you can kind of prototype new ideas like, hey, what if we built this here? What if we do this here? Or what if we like built a road from here to here? And you can actually like quickly do that and see what kind of impact it would have. So I think there's probably a lot of educational um, and public policy type um yeah projects that you could probably run on top of this that are really interesting. So I, you know, I'm tongue in cheek joking about this, like, oh, it's a frivolous effort, but there's probably a lot of real use cases that could get out of this. Um, So I guess one thing I I would love to see is we've seen uh, places in the world where that are war torn, um, where a lot of natural, you know, historical artifacts, museums, sculptures uh, have been destroyed. So in preserving things that may not be around forever, I think this is an amazing way to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, have people be able to enjoy things that uh, future generations enjoy things that may not last. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm definitely going to take a look at this more. My daughter, this caught my attention. And my daughter is like addicted to Minecraft um, since we bought it for her last month, and she absolutely loves it. And like in no time, I'll like she, she'll start something. An hour later, I'll come around and show this like entire thing built, and it's amazing. Like what these kids are doing um, in Minecraft. It's so creative.
1: Um, oh. A
0: lot of different things they think about, like different materials, different types of wood, different types of metal, different animals, building farms, building buildings, like irrigation and gardens. And it's like, it's crazy.
1: That's awesome. We'll tell her to start building Pennsylvania.
0: Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so then along the same veins of the Cesium, actually a company we, we've done some work for, um, they're 3D geospatial mapping company, uh, they have been working with Unreal for the last year, or maybe even more, in kind of blurring the line between the physical and digital worlds. So Unreal is a, is a 3D gaming engine, and Cesium's WebGL 3D engine, uh, they have a lot of experience in building 3D geospatial via their WebGL engine um, and other surrounding platform and stuff. So. Cesium is known, kind of very well known for highly accurate models, three D geospatial data and analysis and being able to build your analysis and maps and things like that on top of uh, Cesium's platform. Anyway, they have a highly accurate global scale WGS84. WGS84 is a standard reference model, elliptical model for the earth that's used in aerospace and defense and and all sorts of things. Um, I've used it before too many years ago, but this is a 3D, model of that in uh unreal engine so basically you could build video games that um have all of earth's terrain um highly accurate you know probably down to i don't know what granularity is down to like the the level of a meter or not um for building realistic landscapes realistic games on top of actual locations on earth so again goes right back to the thing i was saying about like educational purposes uh government purposes uh scientific purposes and entertainment purposes um it's pretty cool the level of detail they have in this like individual buildings museums um i I think in like the next 10 to 15 years a lot of the planet is going to be digitized this way and you're going to be able to access it um online through vr you'll be able to have virtual meetings and in actual real places and and visit people so I, i think the 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 options are like the sky's the limit in this. So, again, and if you're cesium
1: is so cool. We, I know you said that. You know, we worked with them briefly. You know, little plug their newly designed website. Um,
0: yeah,
1: <laughs> but um,
0: at least recently, you're right. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, but they actually, when we were in initial talks with them, they do a lot of work with the Department of Defense. Um, they they come out a lot and say that. So they work really closely with government agencies to use this kind of granular data.
0: Yeah. Um, so yeah, it ju- it's just amazing. So imagine like you know, you have, you're going to have the world in Minecraft. You're going to have like realistic models of the world through this cesium unreal platform. And um, I just want to see more and more of this stuff. I don't have a VR headset. I'd love to buy one, but I can just imagine in the next five to 10 years you're, you'll, you'll put a VR headset on and you're probably not gonna be able to exist. It'll be indistinguishable yeah. from like reality. And so you can actually visit and walk through real places. Like right now it's kind of, it, it's you can tell, right? Like it's very uh, digitized and it doesn't feel like you're there. But I think that level of reality just keeps getting closer and closer to that. And it's really just a matter of data Mm -hmm. and being able to render at that level in a performant manner. And I think they're making tons of progress on both fronts. Yeah. Um, So I think that's it uh, for what I had today. Uh, So I'm so glad uh, you joined us this week because doing this alone is like, just the most awkward thing ever and impossible.
1: <laughs> you know, back in the early days of the live stream, Ken did this alone. And actually, I'm I'm going to put this in the show notes. I don't know if he wants me to or not, but he brought his guitar on. He wrote a song about Java for Java's 25th birthday, and it it is fantastic. So definitely putting that in the show notes. That was a time when Ken was on alone, but it is so much easier to have someone to bounce things yeah. off of for sure. I'll have to yeah,
0: ask him to like write a song about Mars or something. And do <laughs> yeah. But you're natural at this. I'm like, I'm still learning this. You're so natural at this. So thank you.
1: Oh, thanks.
0: Um, so uh, Sujan Kapadia. And
1: Becca Rafford.
0: Uh, thank you very much. And make sure to check out Philly E-T-E. Yes. Um, and if you have any questions around that, hit us up. But it's fast approaching. It's only a month away now. Wow. Um, $89. Uh, if you buy three tickets, you get one free. Um, check out the lineup. Uh, there's really something for everyone there. So uh Really can't stress that enough. Uh, very excited uh, to be attending this year.
1: Yep, it's going to be a good one. Yeah.
0: All right, well, thank you, everyone. And uh, Ken, uh, you're here in spirit always, and we can't wait to have you back next week.
1: <laughs> yep. All right, bye, see you, John.
0: You too, take care.